Hi everyone and welcome to our latest Cold Chain podcast. I'm Shane Brennan, Chief Executive of the Cold Chain Federation. It's been a bit of a gap since our last edition. A few things have happened in that time, that's for sure. It's a tough time for everyone engaged in every part of the Cold Chain. But there are some things that have really come through. The first thing is that, as with most crises, people realise just how reliant they are on logistics. In normal times, we go pretty unnoticed, maybe even taken for granted. But times like this, we come into our own. Logistics people are problem solvers. When the proverbial hits the fan, it's logistics people that dig us out. And I'm so proud of everything I've seen over the last couple of weeks as people have really pulled out the stops to keep the food sector going. I'm not a logistics person. I have to admit that frequently. I'm proud to represent you all as logistics people, but I have never worked a shift in a warehouse myself or completed a delivery route. So I have so much respect for everyone that does it. And that's why I'm so pleased to talk to my guest today. Ruth Edwards runs uh, Talent in Logistics, which is part of the wider RTITB business. And that's, it's all about developing and celebrating logistics people. I had the privilege of attending some of their events last year, and I have to say they were some of the most uplifting times I had throughout 2019. So hello, Ruth. Hello, Shane. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Not too bad. Good, good, good. good. Can we just kick off just by, I said a little bit of an intro, but can you just give us a, a bit of a, uh, an overview of what have Talent and Logistics and what you're all about? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. So um, as Shane said, I'm, I'm Ruth Edwards. I'm the Business Development Director at Talent and Logistics. Um, to explain a little bit more about what we do, um, we were born, I suppose, out of the desire to recognise and to celebrate the amazing people that work within the logistics sector. Um, we wanted to provide thought leadership to the leaders working in the sector um, that needed help with their people strategies as well. Um, the main topics we talk about as a business are attracting and recruiting talent, and uh, developing and training your workforce and engaging and retaining your people. Um, and we do this through a few ways. So we host conferences and we have three in a year. Um, and they are titled um, as uh, um, in line with the themes, so attract, develop and engage. Um, we organise national and live um, competitions. Um, these are generally for materials handling operators and for HGV drivers, van drivers, um, where we can really showcase the skills and ability that they have and recognise them for the, for the good job that they do. We also conduct research. Um, our last piece of research was centred around um, the perception and knowledge of the logistics sector amongst young people. So we spoke to children aged between 13 and 19 and they told us um, whether they understood what logistics was. Uh, they told us whether they'd consider working within it. Um, they told us about their main concerns about potentially why they wouldn't and we've used that very much to kind of put out to the sector to help um, organisations with their own kind of recruitment strategies. We've also just um, finished and are currently writing our next white paper off a piece of research that we've created um, which is around driver engagement um, both with their employee employers um, although this it is an anonymous survey um, and also with the sector as a whole. So um, from a from a driver shortage point of view, understanding their thoughts um, and that's due to be released later this month. Um, 
and we generally act as a voice within the sector for all things people. So I write a lot of columns and features for magazines. Um, I go to a lot of event, events and speak um, about employee engagement, workforce development, um, how to attract good talent. Um, and just basically making sure that employers and organisations within our sector are really focusing on their people strategies um, and making sure they're investing in their people if they possibly can. Um, and one of the ways that we celebrate um, and recognise the talent um, is our awards night as well, Shane, that we've just uh, we've just opened our entries for yesterday. Right. Good. And when are the awards taking place? Um, so they so they opened on the first of April. They close for entry in June. I want to say no, maybe maybe early July. Um, and the awards night is on the first of October. So we had a tough decision really of whether we were going to carry on and do them, um, given the current situation, obviously. Um, but I sat I sat down and thought about it for a little while, and I thought there's never been a better time to kind of celebrate the talent from within the sector, and so we've decided to press on and to go with it. Um, so yeah, first yeah. of October I, is the awards night. I think that's a really good a really good call. I mean, we, I mean, I'm I'm running events myself, so I feel your pain and making decisions about whether or not we'll be able to run those events at that time. We just don't know sitting here today for sure. But if we are, then I guarantee people are going to want to get out there and meet and talk and celebrate and yeah. just, just take stock of where we are and how, and how and look to the future because it'll be, people have gone through a, through a tough time. Um, I mean, I came to your awards. I had the privilege of being a judge, and I think I'm a, I am a judge again this year. Um, there's definitely something different about the Talent and Logistics Awards I'm saying that as a as a punter, um, different different feel, different look of the people around. You know, the people that you see around the around around the room, um, much more diverse crowd, and just a general a real positivity and energy. Why why do you think that is, Ruth? Um, I suppose yeah. I mean, you know, we do tend to have quite a diverse crowd. You know, we have we have an audience that ranges from the CEO of a top company right through to obviously the, the guys that are working on the ground. So that's really nice. We've also got quite a nice kind of um, gender split as well, which can be quite rare from a from a logistics awards point of view. So we tend to have quite a lot of females in the room, which is nice. Um, but I think the, the reason that the awards are, are different and special, I suppose, is that the magic of the sector um, for me is about people and and I think if we kind of refer back to obviously the situation that we're going through currently um the magic of the people has never been truer at any point you know more so than now so you know we've got logistics people out there that are working tirelessly tirelessly sorry should I say to keep our shops open and and stocked to keep our fuel stations full of diesel, to keep our hospitals full of medicines. I would totally concur with you. And I've obviously been talking to government quite a lot in the last couple of weeks about, you know, absentee rates and where they are in different parts of the economy. And logistics is noticeably lower in the number, the amount of absenteeism that's going on. Now, now I wouldn't second guess anyone's motivations from being absent from work right now. Everyone's got so many pressures on them. But one of that, that, that sense that logistics people feel an obligation to get the job done that they have an understanding of what they're all about and the an obligation to each other really comes through um, uh, to me. And it sort of, therefore doesn't surprise me that the absentee rates right now are actually lower in our market than they are in others. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't surprise me, to be honest. I mean, 
I left the logistics sector for a little while. I worked in it for about four years, um, straight out of um, out of uni. Um, it was my first job, and um, and I left for a while. I stayed within operations, but um, I left and and I wanted to come back. And and I suppose it was you know that kind of you know we're we're down down to earth normal people that are yeah. you know that, that work hard and you know I, I just think we've got a bit of an edge that's different to us <laughs> the people yeah. that work within supply chain I, and logistics so yeah I definitely I definitely see that I mean I, I came into logistics two years ago and I hadn't really worked in logistics ever before and um and I've just been struck by that I mean I love I love it I love the environment you know people tell it how, how it is um and all that kind of thing but really people just get on with the job um, yeah. And at times like this, that's what, you know, we all talk, we always talk about what's, what's an essential worker. Well, you know, times like this show what, what is essential and logistics is definitely in there. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, um, just, so just moving on then to talk about, um, uh, about business investing. You're doing some really interesting research by the sounds of things. And I've read some of your, your research and, 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 and certainly um, absorbed it. But this idea of young people and attracting young people into logistics and also helping people to develop and, and engage uh, with, with, with logistics companies. Um, do you think companies are doing enough to invest in that? Um, oh, I suppose if we talk about, um, if we talk about um, investing in, in our people, um, a lot of larger organisations within the sector will have dedicated roles for for people development, for engagement, for talent, you know, and recruitment. Um, but a large proportion of our sector is made up of SMEs. And for SMEs, it's quite often, um, and not always, I might add, um, but it's quite often not the top priority, you know, investing in your people. And, and that's, you know, that's not through any fault of their own. That's because they're working to really tight profit margins and they can struggle to find that investment in their people as, as much as maybe they would like to. Um, so I think I think they do sometimes find that a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. Um, and that's a little bit about, you know, a little bit of the reason of why we exist. You know, I want to make sure that I'm collaborating with other sector associations like yourself and um, that we're sharing best practice, that we can give people helpful tools and resources to help with that sort of stuff so that, you know, if they don't have the capacity, um, you know, from a resource point of view, it's not always about money. It's, you know, it's. Um, it can also be to do with with time um so you know if we yeah. can help give them some tools to kind of help them with that um then then that's obviously can only be a benefit you know I, i've done things around personal development planning coaching and mentoring all sorts of bits um and from a from an investment point of view and the reason that you know i i kind of harp on about how important it is um it can it can really affect how well you retain your people. Um, yeah. And yeah. I always think, you know, do we want to lose our talent to others? You know, and whether that's Joe Bloggs, who's also got a haulage company down the road, or is it from a blue, blue collar point of view, is it that we're losing people? You know, we don't always think about outside of our sector in terms of our competitors. You know, are we thinking about Tesco and McDonald's and Aldi and, you know, um, the other areas we could be losing them to? And, 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 you know, we quite often as a as a sector talk about kind of retention issues and how we struggle to keep our people um and 
and obviously that creates a big cost in terms of replacing them. Um, totally. You know, I, I read the other day, on average, that it can cost between fifteen and twenty thousand pounds to replace somebody on you know on a, gr a ground level some you know, yeah. um, role. Um, due to obviously all of the training that's required, but then of course the loss of productivity as well during that initial period of when you're getting someone in and training them up. And obviously, you know, so it's it's such an important thing to invest in and you might not always see the benefit in spending that money, but the cost of replacing them would be so much greater. Um, so Ruth, can I just, just ask though on that, you know, obviously I, I recognise the sort of the sort of the dynamic which is large logistics organization big budget maybe even multinational organization with a hr department hr represented on the board you know suite of, of recruitment professionals and training and development professionals and the whole sort of budget and structure around that versus the sme which is you know more of a one-man band operation or a small family run operation or what have you yeah. is it as simple as big business good at hr small business bad at hr and development or is it more complicated or more nuanced than that no it's definitely not big is good and small is yeah. bad um definitely not i think um you know what you do find is that the uh, is that and i'm being very general when i say this is that mm. obviously you have got people who are kind of specialists in that people management type you know role mm. um if you've got a larger organization so they've probably just got more structure to what they offer um mm. whereas in a smaller organization when it's quite operate it's, you know it's quite often about operationally getting things done um you know you might not have someone with that with that that necessary skill set i suppose but what i do find when i go and speak to organizations is i have been to lots of large organizations in the past where they just can't engage their people because they are um their their concentration is on other things you know it's it's not in, it's not necessarily allocated to the right to the to the right things whereas a smaller family run business can can be kind of a really happy team of people and have really great retention um because they know everyone's name and they can say hi to them and they give the same guy the same truck each day and he's really happy with that and you know they look after them because they know them on a personal level they look after them when they've got personal issues a lot more they they're not such a number i suppose as they can be in a larger organization um but it's you know every business is different so you can't kind of, of, of stamp them all with a kind of you're good you're bad but um but yeah um I, th I think you can't yeah you, it's not straight cut but no, but obviously no. if you haven't got those centralized departments and things it just can be tougher to do and to yeah. to, to do it right i think it's probably and this is a difficult one isn't it the, the difference between sort of i'm teaching you everything i know through on the job development and good mentoring style development activity which um, often the smaller business might be thinking in terms of providing that more than providing structured courses and certification and that kind of thing. But I guess in today's workplace, you have to basically, I mean, you know, employees respond well in the main to to being provided, being invested in, don't they? And being seen and be, that, that actual sense of I'm putting you through this, I'm investing in you as a person, I'm helping you to develop your skills um, because I believe in, in, in you and, and, and in what you can achieve. Yeah. And I guess in that context, how is training and development evolving, do you think, across logistics? Um, I mean, I have in my mind classrooms and, and whiteboards and structured courses. Is that still really the main way we're delivering training logistics, would you say? 
Yeah, so, I mean, I'll answer your, your first point that you mentioned, um, we're talking about kind of investment in people development. Um, mm. Just to go back onto that slightly, yeah. Um, yeah. obviously, if you do that, um, there are so many benefits. If you're trying to think about how, you know, whether you should or shouldn't invest, I mean, it will help them to stay with you. Obviously, retention, as we already spoke about, but they'll feel more valued, as you said. But there's also other things that it will help, you know, so it will help them be more productive. Um when they leave your organization at the end of the day they're going to say nice things about you to you know externally to their family to their friends which is never a bad thing when you're considering your brand awareness as an employer um it can help increase retent um compliance it can help therefore to reduce accidents and stock damage it can improve your customer satisfaction levels um, and if you're doing all that, it's ultimately going to have an impact on your bottom line as well. So there's kind of almost no argument for why you should invest in your people um, in terms of their development. Um, and then going back to your other point around um, classroom and structured training, um, I think there's always going to be a time for structured classroom training. You know, there's there's something great about having an engaging instructor um, stood in front of you, transferring their knowledge, sharing their stories. Um, I love people, so I would say that. <laughs> you know, and I, could, I could talk a hind leg off a donkey, so I love being stood in front of a classroom and delivering training. Um, but I think right now is, again, another perfect example of how things are changing and how people are, are seeing that things can change. So... I mean, right now, I'm sure there's courses being delivered out there by video link um, or through e-learning in order to help the sector remain compliant in these difficult times. Um, and there's there's lots that we can do in logistics to embrace evolving technology. Um, and I think this lockdown is certainly making people reflect on these things that historically maybe they've thought, oh, no, we couldn't adapt to. Um yeah. And, fact, and maybe thought that it was too difficult and now they're starting to see things a little differently. So, I mean, I've been having a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks about, like I said, e-learning, webinars, um, simulator-based training, VR headsets, online courses, even podcasts, you know, someone listening to this podcast, yeah. you know, yeah, it's know. a bit of personal development for someone. So, um, yeah, so I think there's there's definitely a need for change and I think this may, may be the kind of catalyst yeah. to kind of do that. And I think, and I think, I think we, you know, it's learning how to do it well, isn't it? And I think that's the thing. And it, it, once it becomes mainstream, and I'm not suggesting that it wasn't mainstream before this, um, but it is going to become a lot of people who would never have really turned on a computer and never really thought to have a web meeting are now having web meetings, yeah. and they're learning how to use the interfaces. They're learning about the value of basically using the camera rather than not using the camera, um, and and how that can change the dynamic. And you know, it is no substitute. I mean, I. Like yeah, I mean, I'd like to be back in rooms with people. I think I'm gonna. I'm already hankering after it. It's only been sort of two weeks, but yeah. um, uh, I think that we are learning that you can you can develop that personal interaction through these platforms. And I guess particularly when it comes back to that cost point and that, you know, the cost of the training course is one thing, but the cost of losing that person for a day or or for a series of days out out of the workforce, it's just so 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 difficult for businesses to to justify. Um, in terms of their, their their kind of constant desire to basically be as efficient as possible. So if we can find ways to reduce travel time, reduce days out of the business, I think that could make a real difference, don't you? Yes, definitely, 100%. Yeah. I mean, um, I've been thinking about, um, you know, what 
um again what what this kind of situation is is bringing about and 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 you saying about you know e-meetings and things like that um sometimes it takes doesn't it for you to be thrown into your, it kind of a, you know thrown out of your comfort zone um to kind of embrace stuff <laughs> truly and and me for one you know I was probably on the road I want to say probably three to four days a week I was on the road I mean I, I got a new company car um you know well, it's been on. <laughs> I've had a new company car that's been parked on the drive for a little while. But <laughs> but when I got it, I think I did something like three thousand miles in my first month. You know, it was yeah, yeah, it, it madness. And and I've always been like, oh no, I can't go on to these e meetings. It's much better for someone to see the white of my eyes and to mm. see me in person if I want to kind of engage and you know and get them on board with what I'm trying to offer. Um, and I've you know i've i've been so productive sat here you know in my conservatory or in my living room you know having these video calls and it just takes that like i said throwing you out of your comfort zone um to to kind of bring about that change and 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 yeah the cost the cost implications of me not being on the road and doing this over video calls is is obviously massive um so there is a big efficiency thing there and i think um that's something that's definitely going to change going forward yeah well, I mean, I guess, I guess, will it? I guess is the question. You know, I think we could. I think, I think, um, I, I guess there will probably be a blip straight after we come out of lockdown, where everyone's desperate to meet everyone face to face, probably for a little while. But maybe then a new normal will settle down after that. Um, because um, just, but um, but yeah, it's definitely the bigger point. You know, that this is this is the idea whose time has come, if you like, not least for sustainability reasons and everything else. Um, moving on to another topic, um, yeah. one of the issues that really come to the fore in recent years is the importance of attracting and developing women into leadership roles in logistics where do you think we are in this regard um i would say um that the uk in general (laughs) still has a very long way to go in gender equality um but i do think in logistics um we're doing much better than we were when i first joined the sector back in 2010 i think there has definitely been some positive change um but I think if we're going to improve um, the number of females working in the sector, we need to do things from two different ways. So my first thought probably is that we need to have females in leadership roles that can inspire mm-hmm. other women to want to follow in their shoes, to act as mentors. Um, currently, I believe the statistic is that only 15, 16% of managers and directors within transport uh, distribution storage and warehousing are female Um, and i bet bet it's a lot lower than that in cold chain (laughs) yeah possibly you'll have to um you'll have to find out that stat for me shane um but then there's also from the other angle we need to focus on talent attraction at a blue collar level um because when i look at the stats for that again i mean if i take hgb drivers and forklift operators as an example they're both hovering around the one percent mark of being female um, now I'm not, you know, a staunch feminist, you know, but I, mm. but I do believe that we need to, as a sector, offer development opportunities in line with what our male counterparts receive. Um, many who have got great success stories of how they've worked from driver to transport manager to director and above. Um, and whilst there are females in this sector that have done that, um, those stories are far fewer. Um, I think. In order to do 
what I just set out yeah. in terms of female leadership and from the blue collar level, we need to think about our employer branding and how yeah. we promote opportunities for females and um, what language and what images do we use in our you know marketing for recruitment. Um, we need to look at our people strategies. So, you know, do we offer flexible working for returning moms? Do we offer joint paternity and maternity leave? You know, do we talk about the menopause in, in in the talent and logistics journal um a few months ago we did a whole piece on um you know supporting women through the menopause and and for many in our sector that may well have been the first time they've read an article you know to, along those lines yeah. um so and then you know looking internally at your organization's culture so you know is the right culture there is there is there biased is there stereotyping amongst the existing male leadership teams perhaps you know do do we recognise the strengths that having both a male and a female point of view on making business mm. decisions, how important that is? Um, I'm not by any means saying it should just be a female view. <laughs> you know, I'm saying that the two working collaboratively can have great benefits. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think, it, you know, it comes through in, you know, I think different parts of the logistics are, in, are on different are on different sort of progressions in this area i would i would say um you know the more consumer facing the brands that logistics are supporting the more sort of gender diversity there is i think yeah um but when you get into sort of you know the primary primary distribution the, you know the, we are so far away from 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 the kind of things that i think we would all hope would be would be achievable um but all of what you've just said just 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 resonates in terms of in terms of change. I wonder yeah. whether um, the there, there's definitely been a there's definitely a generational shift going on in logistics across the board. You know, some of the you know we're we're onto the we're we're all, some of the sort of uh, some of the old guard are retiring out of the industry, and, and there is a new leadership cadre, uh, group coming in. They're still very male. Um, and I think it's them that needs to take, take a long, hard look at themselves and make a decision about how they can do things differently in order to create that opportunity for others to come to come through um, of all different kind of backgrounds and what have you. Well, that yeah, that's it. I mean, for me, obviously, I, I you know, I talk about equality, diversity and inclusion quite a lot. And, and for me, it, you know, gender diversity, of course, is very important, but there's so much more that we need to consider as a sector. You know, there's, yes, there's gender, but there's disability um, and diversity in terms of, um, you know, becoming disability confident as an employer. Um, there's ethnicity. There's you know age discrimination. There's you know there's the whole the whole EDI piece. Um, that we need to make sure. EDI, think, sorry. EDI, equality, diversity, and inclusion. Okay. So right. making sure. Um, that as a sector we are thinking about all of those things when we look at look at recruitment. I mean, one of the things I quite often suggest is doing those kind of blind CVs, you know, where you take, you ask your recruitment company to remove the name, to remove the age, to remove, you know, everything about that person, and you just see them for their skills yeah. and their, you know, um, yeah, uh, you know, and, and look at it. So there, there can be no unconscious bias you know, about who you're bringing into your organisation. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Okay, I've got one last question for you. Um, obviously, we talked a little bit about this already, but just sort of for those people that are listening and they've taken some, they, they, they've got their bit quieter than they were, they're working from home and they're listening to our podcast um, and not on the front line necessarily out, out driving a truck or, or working a warehouse on essential services. Um what could they be doing? What's the best things they could be doing right now to aid their development and prepare for 
the recovery that's, that will be with us soon enough? Okay, so um, I think that, well, I would definitely suggest that this is giving us all some breathing space almost you know if we're if we're sat working from home I, certainly for myself you know I've 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 been working on a lot of my um to-do list that's been waiting for me for a long long time and it has allowed me the opportunity to think about things a little bit differently um kind of my top tip would be to kind of revisit your long-term visions and you know to help you keep inspired and motivated whilst you're whilst you're working at home through these tough times um I would suggest that, um, I mean, I've been looking at my processes, I've been looking at my marketing strategy, and I've been looking at my use of time. And use of time is quite important, I think, because the UK generally is not great at productivity. You know, that's not one of the yeah. things, that's not one of our strong points. Yeah. Um, so I think some of the things that are going to come out of this, um, I don't know if you've seen, um, on the government website about people that are placed into furlough um how they can um do training i had seen that but it's a really yeah. good point to remind people of yeah so um so they said that where you cannot work for your employer you can undertake training um as long as you're not making money for your employer or providing services to your employer so i mean i, I definitely recommend that people check out the check out the website because there's some there's some details in there about kind of how you have to pay for that with national minimum wage and stuff but you know so there is an opportunity at the moment to be doing some kind of development um well you know whilst you're on furlough if that's the case um but I think generally in terms of change for the sector based on obviously current situations, I wonder if as a sector we'll change now how we collaborate between businesses. Um, you know, people that are sat at home kind of looking at how they're distributing goods out and about across the country, you know, sharing hall, halls with, with other companies and, you know, cutting down on empty trucks. Um from your point of view, Shane, I mean, you know, the associations are all coming together and working together, which, you know, sometimes in the past has been challenging. You know, everyone's got their own commercial objectives, but there's so many fronts in which we need to be united that, are, you know, for the good of the sector. And I think this has shown that that is possible. Um, you know, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think from a, you know, me as business development, but for salespeople that are sat at home, you know, that what we talked about earlier around embracing e-meeting technology maybe getting more use out of our time and getting more things done um i think we'll undoubtedly be more flexible and more agile as a sector following this and um, we've had to move and change things so quickly i mean how many organizations out there are going to streamline their processes through all of this i wonder there's going to be so many things that people have gone why have we always done it this way um you know and that and that will provide change for the future um more of us working from home, maybe, you know, will organisations, you know, after some of this has created cash flow problems, you know, will organisations be able to cut some costs by not needing the same desk numbers going forward? Well, um, I'm up for it as long as there's no homeschool involved. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm currently uh, educating a six and a four year old, so I feel the pain on that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose that's that's another area of interest is flexible working. You know, I've I've been logging on early. Um, to allow myself that flexibility if I've had to help the children with what they're doing, you know, whether it's English or maths or French. Um, so, you know, will we as a sector now be able to embrace flexible working a bit more because we've shown that it can be done? Um, 
and then finally that whole technology for for training and maybe onboarding new talent um you know just people kind of embracing the technology that's out there that can help you and you know um kind of run your businesses without needing to maybe get people into the organization so much um you know using a lot more kind of online channels i think yeah, as a final note, now is certainly a great time to innovate. Um, I'm certainly doing things a lot differently, as I'm sure yeah. you are, Shane. Yeah. Um, and I think we all can be. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ruth. Um, you've forgotten one more very important thing that people need to be doing, which is thinking about how they're going to enter themselves and their colleagues into awards. <laughs> and remind yes. me the deadlines again. Uh, so the deadline, I believe, is the 25th of June. Um, 25th of June, shortlist tonight, something like the 20th of July. Obviously, if people want to get involved, it's great brand awareness. You know, you can stand out from your competitors if you beat them on the night. Um, <laughs> Recognise your employees, celebrate your company's success and leave feeling inspired to do even more at the end of the night. So, um, and, and I can only endorse that Talent Logistics is a great, uh, a great place. And I know the people that win those awards really, really do appreciate it. So it's definitely worth taking some time to do that. And we're definitely going to need some celebration uh, when we get to the other side of this. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ruth. That's been fantastic. Um, a great interview um, uh, for the Cold Chain podcast series. Um, we're going to be ramping up our podcast output, no doubt, over the coming uh, coming weeks. We've got a number of really interesting conversations line, lined up. I think we're going to use, as Ruth has said in her messaging today, use the time to think about the big picture, think about the long term, think about where our industry is heading and get some real uh, insights from some of the people that are that really know what they're talking about in this area. Um, so thank you all very much and as I'm saying to everyone and everyone's saying to everyone right now um, stay safe and look after each other